Hey, Nick, we have some exciting news to announce regarding um, our friends over at the OBG Project. The OBG Project folks have now put all of OBG First within the OBG Resident Core. So you get OBG First for your entire OBGYN residency. How incredible is that, Faye? Yeah, that sounds really great. And just to remind you guys, the resident core over at the OBG project is completely free. All you have to do is sign up and prove that you're a resident. And then you'll get not only OBG first, but also the OBG L&D ebook, as well as excellent curricula, as you know, as well as self-test quizzes and things like that for your studying. Yeah, that's over a $198 per year value. So if you are interested in getting this free educational resource, head over to our website, creogsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, get signed up for the OBG Resident Core, and by extension, OBG First, the OBG L&D eBook, all of this awesome stuff, absolutely free, four years of residency. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. All right, so um, today, everybody, we've got a special guest with us. Dr. Gary Frischman is a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Warren Alpert Medical School at Brown University. He was Faye and I's program director for half of our residency and served as a past board member of the Fellowship of Minimally Invasive Gynecologic Surgery, a board member of the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, the president of the Society of Reproductive Surgeons, and the president of AGL as well. Um, really an accomplished guy. We were so fortunate to get brought to Brown by Dr. Frischman. Um, thanks for coming on the show, Dr. Frischman. Well, thank you both. This is like the highlight of my career just about. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. Um, well, Dr. Frischman, today it sounds like you're going to talk to us about electrosurgery. So um, tell us what we're going to learn today. So uh, I am going to talk a little bit about terminology, but not get into the weeds and not get into the weeds on definitions either in terms of bolts and ohms because everyone, including myself, always forgets it. Um, I just want to sort of have it how you, so people can know how it works, how you use electrosurgery, and how to stay out of trouble. And then a personal goal is that both of you call me Gary at some point. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give it a try here. It's going to sound really weird, though, Gary. Um <laughs> So let's start off because, I mean, I think this is one of these fundamentals of surgery, right? It's one of those things that you kind of learn by osmosis, and I feel like you never formally get taught it, or in a lot of places, it's just kind of taught by osmosis. So let's be intentional. What is electrosurgery, and how exactly does it work? Yeah. So osmosis is kind of a good term because you need water to do electrosurgery, but basically it is delivering believe it or not, radio frequency waves, and they heat up the tissue, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit, and that causes all the effects that we see clinically in the operating room. Uh, there's a lot of improper terms, and in fact, I'm deputy editor of the journal The Middle Invasive Gynecology, and we have a whole editorial on which terms you can't use. And when you say electrocautery, everyone knows what you mean, but electrocautery is actually like a hot stick or a battery-powered device. Electrosurgery is alternating current, and that's important because your body is actually the conductor. Your body is part of the electrical current. And by modulating that, 
we get all the different tissue effects we see. You know, I, I don't do a ton of um, electrosurgery really anymore, I suppose. But I feel like, you know, we always hear the term in residency of monopolar, bipolar, um, and having uh, not having a physics degree myself. What does that exactly mean? So basically, you have a generator, and the generator sends energy um, into the tissue. And it's a closed circuit, so the energy has to return to the generator. With bipolar, it goes from one electrode to the other. So if you have bipolar forceps, it goes from one tip to the other tip. With monopolar, it goes back to, um, back to the machine via a dispersive electrode, improper names, but everyone uses them as the ground pad and the return pad. And that you can think of as the second tip of the bipolar. So it's the same thing. It's just how much distance between the two. So the dispersive electrode ground pad return pad is the second electrode with the monopolar system. Um, and either way, the energy goes through your body to that second electrode and then back to the machine. Um, the difference in how it's applied leads to the different clinical applications. So with bipolar energy, you are going to have um, generally a more precise delivery of the energy. It's less smoke, um, and, but, but it is also still dangerous uh, in the sense that, and then one of the things in my career that I've always found fascinating is using laser or using other harmonic scalpel you need special privileges for. But the electrosurgery is without question the most dangerous thing that everyone gets privileges. If you, have a, if you graduate from medical school, you basically have privileges for using electrosurgery, <laughs> and without question, it's the most dangerous. Um, and then I think we all go to institutions, and you just say, turn the machine on, and then you use what the settings are. And we just, as, as Nikki alluded to earlier, we kind of just don't really understand it. And again, I'm not going to go in the weeds, but we're going to talk about some of the basics. Yeah, so let's get into some of those settings, um, because I think, again, in the learning through osmosis, somebody who's in the OR, who's probably our scrub tech or circulating nurse, turns on the machine, dials up the settings to 30, 30, 35, 35, whatever that means, and then we use like cut and coag depending on what exactly we want the thing to do, but sometimes you can cut through tissue with coag, and sometimes it seems like you cauterize things with a cut setting. So Again, kind of if we get into that, even just to start off with just cut coag, what do those technologies use? How can we think about them? Great. Good question. All right. So first, I want you to think of the energy delivered as a garden hose with a spray nozzle at the end. And the amount of water going through that garden hose is kind of your watts. So when the nurse sets it at 30 watts, let's just say that's 30 gallons a minute. You can adjust that by dialing up or down the watts on the machine, and that's linear. So going back to that garden hose, you turn up the faucet, every crank, you get more energy, but it's linear. You crank it up a little bit, you get a little bit more. You spin it a lot, you spend a lot of time spinning it up. So it's not a very efficient way to change how the energy is delivered. On the other hand, if you think of that spray nozzle, if you tighten the spigot at the spray nozzle, if you tighten the end and you get this fine stream, think of a muddy wall, you have your hose, turn on the hose to 30 
And then you have nothing at the end. You just have it come out and it basically sprays all over the place. You get a lot of energy delivered everywhere, but it's diluted and not very effective. Smearing stuff around, that's kind of a coag, right? You smear on the tissue, get your mm -hmm. mistakes mm -hmm. without being very focused. You take that same garden hose and you take that spray nozzle and you turn it in a tight stream. It cuts through the mud like a hot knife through butter. It's very effective, but you're delivering the same amount of energy. That same water going through is exactly the same over time. Cut and coag change how you deliver that same volume of energy. 30 watts of cut is the same as 30 watts of coag. But cut is a constant delivery. So it's a sinusoidal wave, if you think of those curves that we've all seen and forgotten. So the energy is coming out very consistently, exactly the same over time. So let's just change it to you're delivering 100 watts. So it's 100 gallons over 100 seconds. So it's a gallon a second because it's this constant wave. Coag is incredible because coag is only delivering energy 6% of the time. 94% of the time, it's hanging. So now think of that garden hose. Instead of a, a gallon a second over 100 seconds, you're delivering 100 gallons over 6 seconds. And then you hang for 94 seconds. So you have this incredible burst of uncontrolled comparatively energy. And then the tissue cools, right? So you apply all the same energy into the curve. You apply all that energy over a really short amount of time, six seconds out of the 100, 60% of the time. And then the rest of the time, the tissue has a chance to cool. Now let's take that analogy and think about what happens clinically. If I am delivering that energy very consistently, it's going to cut and it's going to penetrate relatively deep, but not have a time for that energy to go laterally. So good cutting, poor hemostasis. With coag, I have this uncontrolled, relatively speaking, burst of energy and then a pause. So what's going to happen? The energy is going to go pretty far laterally, not get that deep, and you've got hemostasis slash thermal energy, so that's coag. The holy grail of surgery is cutting with hemostasis but little thermal injury or tissue damage, and that's the blend current. So the blend currents are somewhere in between, and basically the machines have gotten smarter, and I'll talk more about that in a second. But what that allows us to do is to try to get the holy grail of surgery, excellent cutting and hemostasis, with very little thermal damage. The scalpel is the epitome of good cutting and little thermal damage. Not so good with hemostasis. Let, let me also talk about the spot size. So we talked about the spray nozzle and tightening it. How do we do that clinically? So if you think about your improper term, Bobi, but if you think about the tip of what you're using to apply the energy, we can make it larger. And that's actually pretty, that's a much more rapid way to change it. So if you take the tip of your delivery instrument, Bobi, and you make it flat as you touch tissue, you get a much larger surface area. And you don't need to remember it. The formula is watts over centimeters squared. So it's the square of the radius. Again, watts cranking up the faucet linear, tightening that nozzle, very powerful. And that's a way that we can manipulate it. So you can manipulate it by changing the waveform, and you can manipulate it by changing the size of the electrode. Um, and if you've ever had anyone go to a needle tip electrode and not change the watts, that lets you know that they're not really thinking it through. 
because you now are delivering that water through a very tiny hole and you need to turn the watts down. Yeah, that's a a great analogy, actually. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of the things to watch out for or some of the complications that arise from electrosurgery. Because, um, you know, one thing that I think of is, you know, we always had our patients sign this jewelry waiver, right? Um, And there was concern that if you kept your jewelry on that, you know, is that going to affect the electrosurgery? So what are some of the things that we should watch out for? I love the question about complications, Dave. Thank you. So there are basically three complications of which two are very infrequent, if not almost theoretical, and even one is 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 fortunately very uncommon. Um, They are direct coupling, insulation failure, and capacitive coupling. Direct coupling is where you touch something that you don't want to. You have two. You have a metal instrument in your field, and you accidentally touch it with your electrosurgical device. And that transmits it. Um, clinical examples might be if you have an open procedure where you're using a retractor, or if you are you touch your laparoscope, which is metal, and that laparoscope is touching something else as you're delivering the energy. The good news about the retractor analogy is if you go back to our formula for how the energy is delivered and our garden hose analogy, it's such a large surface area that you really can't do any damage. Or touching the other instrument that's much more clinically relevant. And the key with there is just to have everything in your field. So anything that's metal and can conduct should be in your field. And that's one of the reasons why the trocars are plastic, so that they don't conduct. With, medical, with metal trocars, that was a bigger theoretical concern, and actually people would possibly get burns at the sites of their trocar insertion because the energy would be transmitted. So direct coupling, which is where the tissue, the um, instrument gets touched with the electrode, is, is the big one. The next one is insulation failure. And you'd think this would happen all the time. There are always tiny cracks. And if, you, and if you think about every time you drive a reusable instrument through your laparoscopic choke car, the insulation can get abraded. And if you think of how they're sterilized, it, you know, the insulation can get abraded. And this was something that in the past was a really big deal. And they would, they had all these different devices that you could buy that could tell if the energy was diverted and they would shut down the generator and they were expensive or you slid them over your instruments. Um, and just clinically, although we know there are breaks in the instrument in the insulation, you just don't see it that much. Um, but the, the, the companies would come around and they would do something where they would, put energy through your instrument and you'd see the break in the insulation. The key things here are if the instrument has gross breaks in its insulation, uh, don't use it. And then it goes back to the cutting and coag. And as you said, Nick, there's both, but you can cut and coag with either. And a lot of people, myself included, say you should really limit the use of coag as an energy. I'll say that again, use cut use cut pretty much exclusively. And go back to the garden hose analogy. Think about a little break in that garden hose. Think about a gallon a second over 100 seconds. Think about 100 gallons over six seconds. Think about which would be more likely to have inadvertent delivery of energy through that break in insulation. Mm -hmm. So cutting is the holy grail of electrosurgery. Yes, we use coag but we don't use it much. Capacitive coupling is something that's really theoretical. 
And that is where you basically have two conductors separated by an insulator. And this is the scariest one because what happens is you take your foot off the pedal and the energy is stored in your device after your foot's off the pedal. So now you touch something and the energy that's stored is delivered because you've been following all the safety rules, but you still would get a, a burn. The key with this is that we don't allow that in the operating room the way that things are designed because you'd have to have plastic metal, plastic metal, and that just really doesn't occur. occur. And then P.S., if you use cutting, it's much less likely. So another reason to use cutting. So take home, always keep your tip of your energy source in your field, making sure that nothing is touching inadvertently. Use instruments that are properly maintained and use cutting whenever possible. Along those lines, I'd like to talk about how the generators work and the concepts of resistance. The way that electrosurgical energy works is it delivers energy to the cell and it heats up the cell, literally by heating up the water in the cell through the sodium chloride. If you deliver that energy rapidly, parentheses by a cutting current, the cell heats up very rapidly and it explodes before it has a chance to deliver that energy laterally. Clinically, we see that because we see a plume. Sometimes you hear the snap, pop, snap, and the crackle of the tissue going, and you, you suction that out, although with bipolar, you get less plume than with a monopolar delivery. With coag, you're heating up that cell slowly. And as a result, that energy gets dissipated laterally, as we said, and that gives you hemostasis and thermal damage. Now, why is this important? Electricity follows the path of least resistance. And as you desiccate the tissue, fancy term for removing the water, remember this is all about osmosis, Nick. Um, as you do, remove the water from the cell, it's more difficult to pass it through. So here's my second silly analogy. Think of the generator as your car's gas pedal. And you say, I want to deliver 30 watts. And you, put, you get 30 watts on a straight highway, and you're going 30 miles an hour. But now, all of a sudden, you're going up the hill, and your foot doesn't move. That generator, that energy is now going to drop. Now you're going down a hill. All of a sudden, you're going much faster. That's the resistance of the tissue. We all know that different tissues have different water content, that dense fibroid versus peritoneum versus other things. And so the newer generators take that into account. And they say, well, you don't want 30 watts on a straightaway and then 15 uphill and 40 downhill. You want 30 watts at all times. So they measure the resistance in the tissue and automatically adjust it for what you want your tissue effect. And if you've ever heard the beeping in the OR while you're doing bipolar, that's, a, that's a, something called an ammeter. And that ammeter is measuring the resistance of the tissue as the water leaves the tissue because you're disrupting the cells with your energy source. Resistance goes up. Now, we talked earlier about the settings the latest generation bipolar forceps, and I have no disclosures for this talk, the ligature, the NCL, the plasma kinetics, they realize the surgeon's the weak link in this whole process. Let's get them out of the loop. So if you think about when you plug those instruments in, there are no settings because it knows what you want to do. You want good hemostasis with little thermal damage. And so you just, you activate it and it just shuts off when it's done. Why wait for the surgeon to shut off the instrument? We know when the, the resistance is infinity, 
And at that point, if you keep delivering the energy, it can't go between the forceps. It's going to go around the forceps to the tissue on either side because that's the only place it can go. And so, and what they do is they do a few other fancy things. They compress the tissue, which makes it easier to transmit the energy, less total energy delivered, less thermal damage. And then rather than looking at that cruise control every few seconds, they're doing it very frequently and in discrete areas. Desiccation is the removal of water from the tissue. As you do that, resistance goes up. And when there's no more water left, the tissue is desiccated, you have hemostasis, and you stop. This is clinically important because if you are applying energy with the monopolar, it's going to go not where you want to. It has to go around that. So clinically, this is very important, uh, and it's just good to be aware of. Let's talk a little bit about the jewelry that you just asked, Dave. And I, you know, we always... It always is terrifying uh, because, oh my gosh, it's going to get burned. And so here's the key thing. If you're using bipolar, you can be pretty close to jewelry because it's going to go between the two tips. Having said that, when you're using monopolar, it's much more of a concern. And let's go back to what we talked about with the energy and the size of where you're delivering it. And let's think about that dispersive element, the return pad, the ground pad. Is it small or is it big? It's huge, right? It's huge. And if you ever look at them, there are two halves to them. And the reason for that, so you put it in a big meaty area, you slap it on the thigh, you make sure there's no lotion on the thigh, you make sure it's completely covered. So it's a very large surface area. It's kind of like what I said earlier, if you touch your big retractor, it's such a large surface area, it's not that big a deal. I used to love when we had the lasers, when they were the hot thing, I would defocus the laser and put it on my hand and people would freak in the OR. But because it was a large spot size, there was no tissue effect. So our, where the dispersive electrode is, it's the same thing. And if either half peels off, the machine shuts down. And that's why it's in two halves. And that's why it's large. And that's why you put it in a media area. Because if it's under the drapes and it peels off, you may not notice. But as long as it's on the thigh and it's a patient's earring, even if it is in their umbilicus, you're going to be okay. If it's a genital piercing, that's a much bigger deal. We have patients sign a waiver partly because if they leave it on, it may get torn. And that's, one of, that's really the reasons why you tape it. You tape it so it doesn't get torn. And if you have a patient that's concerned about if you remove the ring, they won't be able to get it back in, put a piece of proline through that hole, and that'll keep it patent and they can follow it. So that's just a little tip. So the key with jewelry is remove it if you're able to, as much so it doesn't get torn during the surgery. If you can't remove it, tape it so it doesn't get hurt. And as long as you're operating with bipolar, you're completely safe. And as long as that jewelry is away from your field, you're completely safe. I got to say, there are some super tips in there. Um, I would have never thought to put proline through a piercing. Uh, <laughs> And then I just have to say, too, that I miss so much hearing these analogies because they are so, so helpful in trying to lock down these concepts and understand them. So thank you, Gary. One other application of energy that I'd like to talk about is fulguration. And fulguration, we've all done it, but we may not know the term and we haven't really thought about it. Fulguration is where you take the tip of your device and put it really close to the tissue. You do it when it's like oozing. You got a little bit of a bed oozing and you put, you put the, the device on the tissue and it pulls away the scab and it's all bad. So fulguration 
is where you put the tip of the device as close to the tissue as possible and you activate it. But you use coag and you use coag because you want this huge burst of energy to leap across that space. And it actually follows the blood back to the bleeding source. And you don't, nothing gets onto the tip of the bovi because you're holding it away. But that's an application of coag. And it makes sense because you want a huge burst of energy. And that huge burst that you get with coag is what you want. And people believe it actually follows the, the, the blood back to the site. Obviously, it has to be local. Um, and, that's, and that's where it kind of makes sense that you want to use fulguration. Let's also talk about using cutting on skin. This is terrifying to me. We've probably seen it with maybe some general surgeons. Us OBGYNs, we're just frankly too terrified. But it's a good example of where if you know how to deliver your energy, you're okay. And if you have a small spot size, meaning that you have that garden hose, that spray nozzle, really, really tight, and you use cutting, I'll save it again, and you use cutting, there's actually over a dozen randomized controlled trials with the Cochrane thing that says that basically it's safe. EBL is maybe the same or maybe a little less, but not more. Incision time is the same or maybe a little less because you don't have to stop the bleeders. And there's not really a lot of data, but the thought is maybe even a little less pain. So I don't expect anyone to go out and do that because it's too terrifying. But it's just another illustration. If you understand how the energy is delivered, small spot size, cutting, you're going to fly like ice through hot butter, and you really won't get that thermal damage, which is what we're all scared about with skin. All right. Well, thank you again, Dr. Fishman, so much for coming onto this podcast and teaching us again about electrosurgery. Um, so why don't we go ahead and summarize, Nick? Sure. So we started off talking about terminology, um, specifically talking about electrosurgery as the appropriate terminology as opposed to electrocautery or the bovi pad or whatever other kind of terms that you use. Um, but you're essentially using electricity to dissolve away the water in the tissue to be able to cut um, or provide cauterization to a tissue surface. We then discussed the difference between monopolar versus bipolar radio frequency, essentially discussing about the distance between your two electrodes, where your bipolar uh, instruments are going to have your two electrodes very close together. In terms of thinking about modifying energy and talking about cut, again, that's on 100% of the time, whereas coag, remember, it's on 6% of the time, but it delivers that same amount of energy across a shorter time period. So 6% of the time it's on, 94% of the time it's off, but you're still delivering that 100 gallons of water. We then talked briefly about complications overall. So we discussed things like direct coupling, where you're actually touching your hot instrument to something else. So for example, touching it to your metal retractor, potentially your metal trocar, though nowadays we are using plastic trocars much more often, or potentially to another instrument. We also talked about things like insulation failure, which does not occur as often as we think it would, which is just when you have breaks in your instrument and you could potentially have electricity move through some of those breaks. We then talked about things like capacitive coupling, um, as well as things like jewelry, um, and potentially having that concern of burning with jewelry. But we discussed how those are very unlikely, and this is mostly a theoretical uh, complication. We talked then about a little bit other forms of energy control, remembering one other analogy of Dr. Frischman's, which is that cruise control on a car to talk about resistance of tissue. Um, again, if you're driving on a hill, 
and you've got a constant speed of 30 miles an hour, so to speak, your car's engine is gonna have to crank harder if it's going through that resistance of going uphill. The converse is true if you're going downhill that your car's engine is just gonna be coasting on that downhill side despite delivering the same speed of 30 miles an hour. We also talked about fulguration or what probably is referred to you guys as like arcing on the tissue um, where you use that coag as in a special way to kind of deliver energy um, and follow it back to the source of bleeding. We ended with a brief discussion of the current generation of bipolar forceps. So, for example, the end seal or the ligature. Um, and we talked about how this current generation of forceps is actually very smart and kind of takes the surgeon out of the equation and understands what we want to do, which is to desiccate the tissue and stops when that resistance increases. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It has been truly a privilege and pleasure. Um, and I wish you all the best of luck as you go to the next stages of your career. Thank you. All right. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Frischman, go ahead and go onto your favorite podcatcher like Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Instagram or Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee. Or if you love the show and want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. You can find show notes for this show and all of our other shows, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. And finally, if you have a question for us, a correction to this or any prior episode, though I doubt you're going to correct Dr. Frischman on this one, or if you just want to say hello to us, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com.